Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and today is March 22nd, 2021. (laughs) I had to kind of check myself there on the dates. So I hope you had a good weekend. I, uh, like I said uh, before in earlier podcasts, and if you're a, a regular listener, you know that I like to record on Mondays. And um, I hope you had a good weekend. You know, the, the weekend here is just, uh, the weather is just starting to get really, really nice, which is fantastic. And um, uh, if you also are someone who's listened to the podcast for at least the past several weeks, you know that two weeks ago today, I got a rescue dog, Coco, uh, or Coco Bean, as I like to call him, and he's doing great. I would say his biggest challenge is that he has a problem with car sickness. So if any of you have any tips out there for dogs that get car sick, definitely (laughs) send me a DM on Instagram. And you can actually follow him on Instagram because I created a separate page for him. So I wouldn't crowd my uh, regular Instagram with all these pictures of the dog. So his Instagram is Coco Pup. I'm sorry, Coco Rescue Pup on Instagram. So other than that, though, he's doing really, really well. Um, and we just love, just absolutely love having him. So over the weekend, I taught a couple of anatomy trainings. And one was about my system for understanding the why behind a cue. And this really becomes you know, such a central theme that you can bring into all your classes, you know, really looking to share cues that are just those that you could explain. And I completely understand if you're just learning anatomy, you might feel unable to share anatomy-based cues that you understand because you're just kind of learning the ropes of the, of the topic. And so that's totally fine. I think in that scenario, what I always recommend to people is teach from action cues. Action cues can really give you a way to teach a really good, solid class. They're highly understood by people. They don't require really any interpretation. Words like push, pull, press, squeeze, reach, bend, um, 
you know, inhale, exhale, all those kinds of things are really easy for people to get. So I would say stick with action cues as you're learning anatomy, and then you'll have a really good repertoire of those that you can always use. And let's face it, even if you're going to teach with anatomy in mind and have your cues be anatomy-based cues, you probably won't do that for every single cue. That would probably be a little exhausting, not only for you, but for your students to always be kind of looking at their practice through the lens of anatomy. Keep in mind though, as a yoga teacher, you always should be keeping anatomy in mind. And even if you're not articulating anatomy in the cues that, you're sh that you share, it's always important for you to be keeping it in mind. And it's going to shape all that you do from red flags you notice in your students to alignment changes you suggest that they make to modifications that you offer, all those kinds of things. So, you know, this is obviously why, uh, you know, it's important to learn anatomy because it is so central to our skill set as teachers. So um, I kind of forget how I got off. Oh, that was the first workshop I taught. And then uh, yesterday I had the opportunity to meet with a whole bunch of teachers because I'm teaching the anatomy portion for a 200 hour training. So the topics there, and I'll just share uh, this with you just so you have a sense of the kinds of things that we covered, especially for those of you who went through a 200 hour training and maybe felt like it was a little bit lax when it came to the anatomy part. We really took a deep dive into the key muscles of the body. And I did a slide presentation for that. And then we, I did a presentation on fascia and the technique of myofascial release. And then with both of those presentations done, we did uh, demos of poses. Now, of course, this was all done virtual. So what that really amounted to was the teachers suggested postures where they wanted to understand the anatomy behind them. And so I demoed a pose and we discussed the posture. And this can be a really, really effective way for you to test your knowledge. And it's really on a very practical level how you will use anatomy in your teaching and how you will refer to it. So one of the frameworks that I shared with them that I can share with you here as well is the framework of giving, an, of giving three action cues and an anatomy cue and have your anatomy cue be focused on the muscle that's concentrically contracting in the pose. Now, of course, every pose is going to have a bunch of muscles that are concentrically contracting. Um, you can just pick one. So a really simple example of this is warrior one. If I were to teach warrior one, using this uh, cues uh, format or, or framework, as I call it, of three action cues and an anatomy-based cue. Let's say you were in downward dog. I could say to you, step your right foot forward, push your back heel down, reach your arms straight up to the sky. Now, I want you to draw your belly button into your spine and see if you feel the contraction of your rectus abdominis. So that cue, that last one, refers to the muscle that I want them to engage or concentrically contract so that they can keep their pelvis level. If they don't have the rectus abdominis at all engaged, the pelvis will tend to anteriorly tip, meaning it'll tip to the front. Additionally, if they have any kind of overactivity in their low back muscles, they might have anterior tipping of the pelvis anyway. Additionally, if they have tight hip flexors, which is really common, they might have anterior tipping of the pelvis. So asking them to engage belly button to spine 
activates the rectus abdominis. And guess what? The rectus abdominis runs from the pubic bone up to the sternum. So as they draw the belly button in, they engage that muscle, they contract that muscle. And because of its um, placement on the rect on the pubic bone, which is at the base of the pelvis, as they engage the muscle, they'll pull up on the pubic bone, thus leveling their pelvis off. So it allows them to get that proper position of their pelvis without me having to speak to the pelvis, but instead to reference the muscle that touches it. So this is a really um, easy way to start to drop in anatomy-based cues uh, into your teaching. For warrior one, you could also refer to the quadriceps and the action of the quads to straighten the back leg. So you could get them into the pose with the three action cues, and then you could say, squeeze your back thigh to contract your quads to help you straighten your leg. So that's just a really simple way for you to share anatomy. But of course, it's predicated on the fact that you, you know what you're talking about. So I wouldn't suggest that you start throwing out muscle names until you've done your homework and you've studied the information and, and you have that down. So that was the weekend. And the other um, thing that's on my mind is a conversation I had this past week with one of the teachers who's in my blueprint learning program. And she was talking about the time that, um, that she was taking to prepare for class. And it got me thinking about, uh, you know, some of my earliest memories of taking yoga classes uh, involved, go involved going to a yoga class where someone, where the teacher uh, brought in a notebook had the notebook open during teaching. And it was obvious to me as a student that they were referring to notes. And that wasn't a bad thing at all, but it was just something that I remember was really part of my early experiences in, in, in going to class. And I remember in the early days of my teaching, I would spend about an hour before every class preparing and I would write things out and I would bring in, um, bring in a notebook and I would refer to that as I was teaching. And it got to the point when I um, started to really develop my, my teaching style, I kind of loosened my attachment to that. And, and quite actually, I didn't actually use a notebook for a very long time. Occasionally I would if I did something kind of different. Um, however, I, I do still notice it now, of course, for the past year, I haven't taken a live yoga class because of the pandemic. But prior to that, it would still be something that would come up every once in a while when I would go in. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think it's always good to be prepared. And I think that writing down your sequence is a good way to prepare for it or a way. However, when I was having the conversation with this teacher, um, she was saying that it was becoming a problem in terms of the time she was spending to prepare. And that in fact, it actually, uh, uh, was part of her decision in letting go of this particular class. So she wasn't teaching it anymore. And that sort of broke my heart because I really think that there's, there are definitely ways you can avoid all the prep that might make you be feeling like you don't have the time to teach because teaching now involves an hour before class, an hour of class, and then travel back and forth. Or if you're doing it online, whatever time it takes to get ready before you log on. So I want to just let you know, you know, some ideas for loosening your attachment to this is number one, to have a standard sequence that you're pretty much going to offer all the time and only vary that occasionally and for really, you know, specific reasons. So if you're teaching your standard sequence, 
however you want to focus more on restorative, maybe you add a couple extra restorative poses that aren't part of the standard sequence. If you want to focus more on backbending, maybe you add a couple extra poses like camel and dancers and, and speak more to the benefit to the spine as you do those postures. You can still though, for the most part, stick with a general sequence and that will over time become what you offer and will relieve you from having to do a significant amount of prep. I also want to say that I know oftentimes teachers are focused on changing the theme of their class from week to week. And while I think this can be interesting for students, I don't really think it's necessary. I think that having a standard sequence can be really uh, a great way to keep people moving, keep them healthy, um, and, and keep them engaged without you needing to feel like you need to change it from week to week in terms of the theme. Now, having said all that, I think that doing the same thing all the time can potentially bring up some concerns when you look at things like just wear and tear on the joints and doing the same movements all the time. So there are still ways that you can, you know, really in a moderate way, switch things up to create some of that uh, variety. So let's say you were working with a standard sequence, maybe on a particular day, instead of starting people in child's pose to down dog to ragdoll to sun salutations, maybe you start them on their back, do knees into chest, do some spinal twists, uh, and then have them come up and around, do some cat cow, and then have them move into down dog, ragdoll, and then start your sun salutations. So by that, you can just do a couple of little shifts and get a little bit of a feeling like you're focusing on something different, you're building in a little different uh, sequencing, but you're not changing everything. Um, the other thing I would say is if you're a teacher who's out there using YouTube to quote unquote, get ideas for your sequences, I mean, I think this is, again, okay. I think though you need to weigh it against what benefit you're getting from it, what value you're getting from it, and how much time is it taking you? Because YouTube is notorious for being the kind of platform where you'll end up down several rabbit holes and what you thought was gonna be five minutes on YouTube turns into 30 minutes. And so the bottom line is this, you know, really two things. Number one, if you are spending a lot of time preparing for your classes and it's feeling like it's time you don't have or you wish you didn't quote unquote have to do it, this is definitely something that you should be looking at. Number two, I would love for you to get to the point where you can walk into a classroom and teach, or you can turn on your computer and teach, and you literally don't have to do any prep. You are at the point where you are ready at a moment's notice to teach. And to a certain extent, yes, that comes from experience, but it also comes from being really committed to a process in how you create your sequences that is a repeatable one that you use all the time. And number two, really relying on a standard sequence that you offer with the variations I described. And of course, doing those as you feel is, is necessary, but really sticking to a standard sequence. So I'm gonna wrap up this part of the conversation. What I will offer you is I have a sequence building template and you can download that via the link on my Facebook page today in my anatomy work group. And also if you go to my website and look up this particular podcast episode, it's attached to that as well. So I wanna get into um, just a quick review of muscles from the perspective of muscles that are grouped together. 
And this can be a really um, helpful way to learn some of these muscle groups. And it can also kind of dispel some of the myths that are out there about literally what these muscles are. Because when you hear in classes, whether it's fitness classes or yoga classes, references to these names, these terms I'm gonna share with you, many times they're not shared in a way that allows the student to understand there's a distinction between these muscles. So many times students hear about the glutes or the rotator cuff or the external rotators or the hip flexors or the core. And that's how the muscles are described. And when, as teachers, when we don't uh, know or share the distinction between muscles in these groups, students are really missing out on learning critical information about their body. So I'm gonna just quickly go over some of the muscles or the muscles that are in some of these muscle groups that are commonly referred to as a group, okay? So the first one I wanna talk about is the rotator cuff. So the rotator cuff is the cuff group of muscles. It forms a cuff shape on your shoulder. And it's comprised of muscles that are remembered with the acronym SITS, S-I-T-S. And that stands for supraspinatus, infraspinatus, teres minor, and subscapularis. And when you look at the placement of these muscles, the supraspinatus sits at the top of the shoulder, kind of behind the shoulder in a little crevasse of sorts in the scapula. It's responsible for abduction of the shoulder. Then on the posterior aspect of the scapula, you've got your infraspinatus and teres minor, and they both run from your scapula to your humerus, and they're responsible for external rotation. And then if you look at someone from the front of the body, on the inside of the scapula is the subscapularis, and that's responsible for internal rotation. So that's the rotator cuff group, S-I-T-S, supraspinatus, infraspinatus, teres minor, and subscapularis. Now, one other last thing about this group, the external rotator part that I mentioned, infraspinatus and teres minor, those muscles tend to be weak in people. So doing things where you're leveraging external rotation as an anatomical action can help them strengthen those muscles. So that's a really good thing to think about when you're, again, creating sequences, adding in external rotation, using the postures that you're already offering people like up dog and interlacing fingers behind the back and down dog, where you wanna emphasize external rotation to give them a chance to strengthen those muscles. The next group are what people often call the glutes, but the glutes are three different muscles. You've got your glute minimus and medius on the lateral aspect of your hip, and you've got your gluteus maximus on the posterior aspect of your hip. So the gluteus minimus is under the gluteus medius, and those two muscles are responsible for abduction of the hip. Then you've got your gluteus maximus, which is on the posterior aspect of the hip, and that muscle is responsible for hip extension. Now, the other thing about gluteus maximus is it is also responsible for external rotation, which is why when you teach people backbending where they need to use their glute max to create hip extension, you wanna give them fair warning that they might feel the urge to turn their feet out, but they want to try to keep their feet, like I'm talking about in wheel, of course, more neutral. And that's 
I think the genesis of people teaching a block between the thighs, but I actually like to teach it with a block between the feet set up perpendicular to the feet so that their feet don't turn out and they can use that proprioceptive sense of the feeling of their insteps of their feet pressing against the block to um, keep them on track with knowing that their feet are staying straight. So remember glute medius and glute minimus are on the lateral aspect of the hip, glute max is on the posterior aspect. The other thing glute med and glute min does along with abduction of the hip is it also does a little bit of um, pelvic stabilization when you stand on one leg. So poses like tree and dancer's pose and airplane, hugging in with the sides of the hips, hugging the sides of the hips in can help people activate those muscles to keep their pelvis level. It doesn't come up as much in um, airplane because the pelvis is anterior tipped there, but certainly in something like um, hand to knee pose, the balancing variation and tree pose where you want the pelvis to be level, that would be a helpful cue. Um, so the next group of muscles are the external rotators of the hip. Now, this is a little bit less of a group, but I do feel like it's one we can put into this conversation because sometimes people do refer to your external rotators. So who are we really referring to there? So this is oftentimes um, referred to, and I've actually only heard this referred to with this acronym once, um, which is go, go, cue, maybe, I, maybe twice. Um, and so the go, go, so it's the gemellies, the obdurators, and the Q is the quadratus femoris. So that's, and there are two sets of gemelli. There's two gemelli muscles and two obdurator muscles. There's the obdurator internus and externus and the gemelli superior and inferior. And so basically, if you look at someone from the back, these five muscles, go, go, Q, right? Two Gs, two Os and one Q, run from the pelvis to the femur on the posterior aspect of the hip. So they are responsible for external rotation. If you're confused, which I understand the audio only is potentially challenging, just Google external rotators of the hip and look at the imaging. And you'll see it's a set of five muscles and it runs from the pelvis to the femur. And so it opens your hip. That's the opening of the hip or the external rotation of the hip. So when you're in something like Supta Konasana or um, or warrior two on the bent knee side or, or goddess or any kind of squat, balasana, anything like that. You're using these muscles to open your hip. So just keep in mind, you know, when we say open the hip, when we talk about poses with external rotation, you've got these five muscles on the back of your hip that are contracting collectively together to create that action. And then the last one is the core muscles. So the core muscles generally are referred to as four. And I totally get it. Sometimes people throw the pelvic floor muscles in there. They add the psoas in there because of its placement in the core, even though it's a hip flexor. I get that. But for this conversation, we're going to think about core muscles as being four core muscles themselves. So we've got the deepest one, which is the transversus abdominis, and that runs around you almost like you had a big ribbon tied around your waist. Then we've got the internal oblique, and on top of that, the external oblique. And these are muscles that generally run from the pelvis and over on top of the ribs. 
and they're responsible for twisting motions and side bending. And then we've got the rectus abdominis, which I referred to earlier, which runs from your pubic bone to your sternum, and it's responsible for spinal flexion. And we also refer to the rectus abdominis when, as we said earlier, as I said earlier, we ask people to draw the belly button into the spine. So those are the four core muscles and we can refer to them in different ways in different poses. So something like draw the belly button in, activates the rectus abdominis. You can use it to help people bring their pelvis to a more level position in certain poses, definitely balancing poses, or um, I was talking about warrior one earlier. You can refer to the transversus abdominis by asking people to hug the sides of the body in, in poses like plank and low plank, where they're fighting the effect of gravity and they need to keep some core integrity there. Um, you can refer to internal and external obliques when you have people do twisting motions. So any of your seated twists or any of your chair twists, any, anything like that. And let's see, transversus, internal, yeah. And so that's, that's the four. Um, so that's, you know, a, kind of an overview of muscles that we oftentimes hear people refer to collectively. And in fact, they've got, you know, some sub detail there. And that's helpful, helpful to know, especially when we want, you know, to have good conversations with people about how to strengthen certain muscles or what muscles are activated in certain poses. It's really helpful to, you know, be able to understand the detail at the detail level, what's there. So this is going to be a short podcast today that kind of wraps up the information I wanted to share. Um, please let me know if there are certain topics that you would like to know more about. You can send me a DM on Instagram and just give some suggestions. And um, if you have any questions about, you know, any of this content, you can also send me a, a direct message as well. Instagram, I think, is the easiest way for people to do to do that. But of course, if you wanted to send me an email, you can send one to Karen at barebonesyoga.com. So I want to thank you so much for listening today. I hope you have a wonderful week and I will see you here next time on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my mentorship program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.